0: Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. The key to a more
1: efficient and knowledgeable healthcare system, the key to better health and better delivery of health, is data and transferring that data effectively between the wide range of healthcare stakeholders, from patient to public health officials to payers. But healthcare data, as we know, is difficult, difficult to codify, difficult to organize, Paraphrase a recent president who knew that healthcare was so complicated, but we have come a long way since early development of clinical standards and code sets. We're more than a decade from the days of meaningful use. So what's our status now? What problems with data are we seeing? Is the data ready for a fully interoperable system? Who better to ask than the data gurus at Epic, a company well-known to most of you as one of the premier healthcare software companies, and today I'm excited to talk to Dave Little, Clinical informaticist and Phil Lindemann, VP of business intelligence and analytics at Epic. Epic serves 2,600 hospitals across the country, 410,000 physicians who in turn provide healthcare services to nearly 300 million patients worldwide. And Epic sees 11 million patient records exchanged daily through its software. And here's a little known fact on its compass company campus. In Verona, Wisconsin, Epic also has a fully functioning farm with uh, cows and sheep and, and everything. So, hello and welcome to the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I am Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Z E L I S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W E D I. Weedy is a national membership organization where the HIT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And like I said, we are excited to have Dave Little, clinical informaticist, and Phil Lindeman, VP of Business Intelligence and Analytics, both with Epic. Dave and Phil, welcome. And uh, so glad to have you here on The Collective Voice.
2: Thank you, it's great to be here.
1: You bet, thanks. Okay, so I'm going to get back to the question I asked at the, the top of the broadcast here. We'll get to that working farm in a bit. Um, first, let's tell me more about Epic, actually. I think many of us know Epic uh, because of your healthcare software suite. What else might Epic be into that uh, some of us might not know
0: about? Phil, we'll start with you. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, I think classically you you might think Epic and you think EHR, you think what my doctor is using um, in the hospital in the clinic, and and I think increasingly, uh, you know, organizations are looking at Epic as a much larger ecosystem. So I think uh, a lot of the things that we're interested in now at Epic that we're seeing sort of grow around the the traditional health system are things like research um, that we do a significant amount of uh, helping our sites enroll patients in research and actually deploy clinical trials Uh, also conduct observational studies with a tool called Cosmos, which I think we'll have some time for later. Um, but that's been, been a big area of focus for me is sort of this category that we call advancing medicine. So it is, is obviously your classic research, but it's also, uh, being able to onboard genomic information and diagnostic labs into this ecosystem. So all of these things are sort of feeding into, what that core health system that was surrounded with the patient that we started with for so many years. And now we sort of just see the concentric circles of the health system all building upon that, that same platform. So those are some of the things that I'm I'm most interested in.
1: Very good, very good. All right, uh, and it'll be interesting to get back to those studies and research um, at the end. I'll ask uh, you know, if you have any resources we can point to. So maybe we can uh, look at what you're putting out in terms of reports. Um, and to get back to the bigger question I, I kicked it off with, um, what is our status now with uh, data? What's the biggest issues regarding data? Accuracy, ability to transfer properly, organization—is uh, it all of the above? Uh, what, you know, what's the narrative arc here? At, at how far we've come with data, and how far we have to go?
0: Yeah, I think I think I'll split that into two components, and maybe you know, Dave can talk about one from the patient-provider relationship. And we'll call that interoperability, which is how does data move for care. Uh, and then there's sort of the data portability, which uh, I look at more from a research perspective of how do we bring data together. Uh, in order to use it to derive insights. So I think there there's different functions for the data, but they have underlying properties and qualities as far as, um, you know, what the rules are for quality and, and semantic meaning and things like that. But I don't know, Dave, you want to sort of talk about the, the current state of uh, interoperability from a physician's point of view?
2: Sure. The, um, yeah, the interoperability from the physician's view takes a number of, levels, certainly that interoperability of data for clinical care is incredibly important. If I'm in a hospital in one side of town and my doctor is at a hospital at the other side of town, I can see, you know, different records from different hospitals and different care settings, which really helps integrate the information that the, that the physician needs um, at the same time, we have seen great strides in data being accessible to the patients themselves uh, through our core application called MyChart. Uh, using MyChart, patients can get to their data from their home computer, their phone, their tablet, anytime, any place. Uh their healthcare data is accessible. And the MyChart Application and the MyChart concept is being expanded in other ways as well. We have MyChart Bedside that hospital patients can use to contact their nurses if they have questions. Uh, We have a product called Care Companion, which is more of a two-way interactive version of MyChart that not only lets me go get the information, but also can push information out to me. A reminder to take my medication. Uh, a reminder, hey, you haven't logged your steps in the past five days, or, or, you know, don't forget to uh, input your blood pressure readings every week. Uh, a more interactive piece. And, and the, uh, the third thing I'll, I'll point out about my chart is the accessibility to other family members. So if you are a, uh, an adult and you're caring for your elderly patients, and you're trying to get them to their appointments, or keep track of their their tests and their results and their medications. Uh, My chart can be accessible to the proxy to uh, to help in that process as well.
1: Very good, Dave. I like that idea of uh, of sharing with uh, the medical information with the proxy, especially in the hospital. For those of us who spent you know lots of times with children or parents or siblings. Um, we've got a lot of pieces of paper, and we pass that piece of paper to the next person that it takes to watch, and so it's great to have that all in one place. Uh, on that note, Dave, uh, we've had a lot of conversations on this program about um you know there's this certainly the sense of let 's free the data let 's get it into the patient's hands, but there have been voices out there who are a little concerned about what happens when it gets into the patient's hands right i I, I look at what my doctor said I have and I get online and I type a few uh, words in and i 'm reading my own symptoms and suddenly i 'm getting to an online pharmacy and i 'm ordering up a hundred dollars what what's what's your feel or maybe what's epic's philosophy on that idea of putting more information into patients' hands?
2: That's a great question because it is definitely what I would call a mixed blessing. It brings a lot of opportunity to patients. It brings a lot of opportunity to uh, to physicians to facilitate the communication process. It also brings a lot of challenges. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge would be situations where the patient gets their hands on the data before the physician has seen it. Um, you know, you order a test on Tuesday, the results come back on Wednesday, you know, the patient is on the portal first thing Wednesday morning, looking for, looking for those results. And the physician has, you know, you know, 20 or so other patients with results all coming in and, 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 you know, if uh, if your name begins with the letter Y and you're seeing things in alphabetical order, <laughs> uh, you know, chances are Mr. Albright is going to get his his data seen before Mr. Young gets his data seen. But Mr. Young has already seen his stuff and his calling and, and um, you know, that can be challenging. Um, and, and so the healthcare system is really having to learn to adapt to... this this whole new way of managing data. Uh, The COVID pandemic really accelerated that because more and more care started to be delivered virtually and and patients got more in tune with computers and technology as a way to access their physicians in in ways that they had not previously considered. Um, Together with new regulatory requirements saying that the healthcare providers are now legally obligated to provide this information uh, to, to their patients. And so it really has uh, set in motion a dramatic change in the whole workflow and the whole way that communication takes place between doctors and physicians and hospitals and labs and you know places that run tests and, and send test results. And so
1: and so I imagine, Dave, that Epic's kind of thinking about that from a workflow perspective as well. Like what what do sure. is there a way we can filter, not filter, but get that information in the doctor's hands before their patients? Is that something that Epic's trying to think through?
2: Well, yeah, yes, absolutely. We're we're thinking through that. Um, keeping in mind that a lot of these policies are being driven by regulations. and, and so we have to abide by the regulations. And our role at EPIC is to help our providers understand and fulfill those regulations and at the same time communicate effectively. I cannot, as a physician, just say uh, I'm not releasing any test results to anybody under any circumstances. That would be a violation. But as as a physician, I do have the autonomy to say this particular lab result on this particular patient is sensitive and i want to uh, put a put a hold on that until i have reviewed it Uh, i have the the legal right to do that i have to provide a reason uh as as to why i am holding this this result and and all of those things are easily possible with an epic when you order the test say you know do not result you know send these results and you get a little pop-up that says why not okay here's why not boom you carry on so so, for selected sensitive situations, we do want to help our providers to be able to uh, negotiate that 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 challenge as uh, as smoothly as possible. Uh, very good, Dave. Wow.
1: One more thing, just on touching on something else you said about COVID, kind of changed the way. Um, we're delivering uh, information uh, to patients, and the way uh, patients are accessing that information. Um, have you seen uh, in my chart or or in others like a greater use then of of, of individuals, patients getting um, access to their um, EHR or, or interacting with that more? Um, that might not be a number you have, but
2: no, we no we've seen we've seen growth in my chart. Okay, the place where we have seen the most rapid growth is in what we call telehealth video visits, Uh, you know, before the pandemic, if you asked any organization, uh, you know, what is your plan for video visits moving forward? They'll say, ah, you know, sometime in the next five years, we'll look into it. Uh, But when COVID hit, uh, you know, the next five years became the next five days and, and people very rapidly had to, you know, stand up those mechanisms by which care could be delivered virtually. Uh, and I think the offshoot of that was the growth of my chart and the growth of, uh, you know, the other technological applications that come alongside, um, you know, I'm too sick to go see my doctor. Or I don't want to go see my doctor because somebody else there might get me sick. Let's do this all remotely. And then the other pieces sort of fell into place around that. Very good. Very good. i
0: yeah, I was I was going to add a, a another sort of data point to that that we've seen. Uh, so around telehealth, we actually have a, a research division here that, uh, and and Dave is actually a big part of that. Dave, I don't know if you wanted to talk about the research. Oh, go ahead. Telehealth. Yeah, so we did a study that evaluated patients that had a telehealth visit. And the likelihood that, that within the next 90 days they actually came in for an in-person visit. Um, you know, I, I know from a from a, a standpoint of trying to figure out payment and, and things like that going forward, folks are trying to understand, is this actually avoiding a visit, the telehealth encounter, or is it just one extra thing? And and we showed pretty convincingly in the data that it was Uh, not creating just one more face-to-face visit that the telehealth visit was actually satisfying the encounter with their provider. So um, that's on epicresearch.org. We try and put out a new article every other week or so. Uh, And the goal there is not to be high science, long form 20 page academic papers. Uh, We want our community to do that. Instead, we're looking to have good data out quickly that someone can objectively evaluate uh, some information and then move on and perhaps dive deeper into the data. So all the data that we're using uh, is accessible to our community that uses that, that Cosmos platform that we talked about. So a um, couple strings there to pull together, but just from a, from a telehealth perspective, we found that it is actually uh, reducing in-person care when one being used appropriately for almost all specialties. That's a fascinating
1: data point. And it's certainly one that, um, I mean, that's being discussed on the Hill and at every state uh, right. Uh, capital right now, right? Is this going to cost the state more if if, uh, if telehealth is something, you know, just another thing that's on top of the medical bill already, right? right. Um, fascinating question. And we got to start passing uh, your findings up to DC that says, it's okay. It's okay. It's not just another exactly. thing. It'll
0: This will take the place of a, a, yeah. an actual visit. That's great. And then I had another data point from something Dave said about, you know, giving patients access to their medical records is not necessarily new. There was just a legal mandate that it needs to happen. And what we found is there were organizations who had already participated in something called open notes, where the note that the provider wrote was already being shared in my chart. So we've had data for several years on the percentage of patients that actually went in and viewed the note. So It was X percent. Now with the mandate, obviously more notes are being pushed out to patients, but we found the same percentage of patients still view their notes, which is kind of interesting. I mean, statistically it makes sense, but you know there's there's sort of this threshold of patients that are willing to even go say I'm interested in reading this note, even though now everyone in the in the community is doing it. So that'll be released in a, a report we're preparing for for next month as a as a little bit of a insight nugget. So so I love that. That that is a that's
1: a great nugget. And you know, so philosophically speaking, um, and we've had lots of talk on this uh on this program about how COVID has changed lots of things with medicine. And we got the new digital generation, you know, my kids, 14 and 15, that want things to come to them. So the healthcare is right. going to come to them. But ultimately, are we still like got that American viewpoint of our healthcare where we're not gonna check it out, check out the app. Like we do the games we play and our <laughs> fitness apps, um, uh, is there going to be uh, um, once this data is freed? Are our patients going to take responsibility for their healthcare? As some policymakers would say, with the transparency and with the pricing and with all the clinical data at their feet, uh, yeah. do you think
0: that's going to happen? <laughs> do, <laughs> do, we, <laughs> do we think patients are going to get more engaged in their health? Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, did you see that there was a Canadian study that came out in the last week or two that read kind of ridiculous? It said patients who skip their COVID vaccine are more likely to get into a car accident. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sure, the, you know, the correlation was there and and they kind of, you know, poked fun at it, but they were essentially surmising that the people who skipped the vaccine were also engaging in these other types of activities that could get them into a car accident which was, yes. you know, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, we found in our data as well that patients who were admitted to the hospital with COVID but were mm. active MyChart users went home earlier. And this was oh. across races. It was across socioeconomic continuums that the pattern stayed true. Now, obviously having MyChart in their pocket didn't make them go home from the hospital earlier but we were thinking could this be an indication of how engaged they are in their own health and that's why they were able to go home earlier so i think it is going to bring up these these questions that we're going to need to ask of you know if if they are engaged in their health more what is the the outcome what outcome does that equate to and is it enough that people will actually change their behavior to say oh look at that i could i could just be more engaged and it would actually make me healthier
1: that's fascinating, actually. We usually talk about it in terms of consumers, and and we as consumers, depending on how much we're paying for our health, we might get more actively involved in that app. But you bring up a great point. If we see an article every day, then instead of saying two coffees a day or a glass of red wine a day is going to make you healthier, glancing at your health <laughs> yeah. app once a day is going to make you healthier. I love yeah, that. check your labs every day. So, Phil, probably another one for you. I've, uh, I've read in Epic's notes that 100% of Epic customers are interoperable. So, first, maybe can you untangle that for us and tell us what that means? And then what do you think can be done from a standards perspective or if, if there's anything that needs to be done uh, to support data interoperability?
0: Yeah. So, what that means from 100% of Epic organizations are interoperable, it's more of... I think that's really highlighting the the relationship that we had with organizations as they installed Epic. We basically ensured that every site that went live with Epic had the tools for interoperability so that they could interoperate with obviously other Epic sites, but anyone else who was meeting the interoperability standards. So, of those 100% um, I believe something like fifty percent of our exchanges. So let's say you're at a hospital in North Dakota. Um, you know they're moving charts back and forth with other community members in the United States or even the world. Uh, about fifty percent are to non-Epic sites. So I think that it's often said, "Oh yes, Epic can talk to Epic, of course," um, which. You know, I think is not necessarily an of a course. I, I think it would be interesting to know, can every other vendor interoperate with every one of their other institutions running their software? Um, but we basically said there's a standard that has to be met here. And part of going live with Epic was let's make sure you've got the tools to be successful from an interoperability standpoint. So that was more of you know a, a success of us working together with the organizations from an install point of view but we're also very active from a standards creation point of view. And, you know, there's there is the tendency to say, oh, we just need one more standard. That other one didn't work. Let's make another one. You know, you've heard this before. Um, So I think we were we were true believers in, in getting consensus on let's decide on how we are going to move information around and make sure it is standardized and then build on it. And there's going to be hard work involved, right? I, I think there is no magic, sprinkle some dust on it and the pipes get built and, and everything goes. Hard work is required to create this connectivity. Um, but without that, you also need the standards to, and basically continue to work at it, continue to expand them uh, and have good governance around people using them. Dave, I don't know if you've got anything from sort of the front line of, of experiencing bringing that data into the actual medical record. Um, but that's that's my experience
2: yeah and, and it makes all the difference um, from from the standpoint of you know being in an emergency department in one place when your records are someplace else and and the ability to have access to those from a clinical standpoint the doctors will tell you you know somebody comes into the emergency room with chest pain and they were in the emergency room across town a month ago and and let's compare the EKGs and see if there's a, if there's a significant, change that would impact the course of care you know that used to take an hour you know in the in the paper days I remember you know being on call in the emergency room and and you know calling the hospital across town please can you fax me this well we got to have a signature from the patient and you know oh let's go get the you know please quit clutching your chest long enough to sign this paper for us so that we can you know, fax it out and get your old EKG, and that was an hour, and now it's seconds.
1: Yeah, right. Um, But it's interesting. Uh, I think, Phil, you said, you know, I think you said laying the pipelines or, you know, uh, building up the pipelines. We think about the standards and the code sets. Um, We got the recent proposed rule that just came out last week with um, uh, the attachment, proposed attachment standards for for claims and the prior authorization work that's going on. Um, Do you feel like the, the, the pipes have all been laid, the infrastructure's there, we've got all the standards we need, now we just gotta figure out how to make it work and, and pull together, or is there still things that need to be built in, in terms of infrastructure? And by built, I mean like laying the pipelines and things like that. Where are we in that story?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, because it, the, the policies and the care models are not static, I think even if we had built sort of, okay, whatever exists today, we have we have a supporting model and we have the pipes for. But if you look at you know the introduction of, of value-based care, the the payers were needing a lot more nuanced information. And they needed to get information that wasn't sort of just we're going to submit a claim at the end of this. They needed things for prior auth. So as those types of models evolve, ideally to have information flow back and forth so patients can get care more quickly, um, we've had to get engaged in making sure the standards can support those new models of care. So I think it's going to you know, it's like kind of cutting your grass. We're just going to have to do this yeah. and keep it, keep it up uh, and not let it get, get, get overgrown uh, to, to keep things going. But I think as long as we're not inventing new ways to do something that was working, I'd rather remodel that or update that, even though that might be harder than sort of say, we're going to start a new, we're going to build a new house next door. Cause my daughter didn't want to clean her room. Right. <laughs> clean your room. <laughs>
1: I'd like to know who that analogy applies to. Like, who are the, who's the who's the uh, healthcare stakeholder who's not keeping a clean room? <laughs> um, I, I think that that's actually fascinating. Uh, and and but what I'm hearing you say too is that you know the policy keeps changing, healthcare keeps changing. There's new needs. There's new ways of payment models. There's yeah. there's new things happening all the time in healthcare. And so yeah, you might have to put on an addition to that house, but but that doesn't mean you clear the whole land. That's fascinating. Dave, did you have something
2: to add there, um, You know, you? You know, Phil's analogy is better than mine. Uh, I think the pipe has been laid, but there are still places where it leaks. Yeah,
1: good, good. So so tell me, um, lots going on. What's, what's the most exciting thing uh, that you are, are both maybe independently working on at Epic? What's, what gets you up in the morning? Say, I can't wait to figure this out or can't wait to get this built?
2: Um, can I start? Yeah, the the, the data uh, and the and the ability to get value from data is is just mind boggling. Um, you know, my at the beginning of my career, I was a family physician, uh, practiced in Ohio for 19 years, tried to do some research on the side. Um, and if we could get 25 patients recruited for a research study. It was mind blowing, um, you know, and and now we have all that data at our fingertips, uh, you know, at a million times that scale, or twenty million times that scale, or you know, whatever number that is, um, and that really I think adds passion to the the, the, the system. Uh, you know, that for years we've been trying to learn how to do EHRs and capture all this data and write notes and type and do, you know, do new things. And now we're at the point where the data can do things for us um, in terms of, uh, and, I'll, and I'll cite two examples. Uh, one example was the, uh, the EPIC research study on fentanyl testing in emergency departments. Uh, that uh, was proposed to us by the University of Maryland. They figured out that, that fentanyl testing wasn't taking place as frequently as it needed to in emergency departments. They came to EPIC with that question and we validated that question and said, yes, this is very true. We need to rethink the way that fentanyl testing is performed so that it becomes more a part of the standard workflow based upon what we see in the data. And so now, all this data that we're collecting, and these standards, and all of these you know weedy things that we've been talking about, actually make a difference in the healthcare process. Um, at Epic, we're also uh, not only doing that at scale through Cosmos, but we're also beginning to do things to personalize that with a couple of new apps that, that Phil is going to talk about. One is called Best Care for My Patient, and the other is called Lookalikes. So that if I see something weird happening with a patient that I'm taking care of, I can ask Epic, hey, you've got 167 million other patients. Is there anybody in that data set that has, has been in this situation before that, that we can learn from? Or, you know, I've got this patient who's got high blood pressure and I want to know which medication is best. What does the data tell us about the effectiveness of all these medication choices and, and to... You know, not only be able to look at that at the huge population level, but to, to cone that down into an individual patient encounter. Phil, I've probably stolen half your thunder there. So well, no, keep going. Let You're me, doing uh, it. Let me throw it over to Phil to talk about you know best care for my patient and the uh, lookalikes uh, applications that we're that we're developing.
0: Yeah, I and the, the way that we've sort of viewed this is we we built a research platform called Cosmos. That was was built in collaboration with uh, the community community of healthcare organizations that use use Epic software. Uh, and today, there's about 170 million de-identified unique patient records in that. And so we, at this point, believe it's the largest EHR-based data source in the U.S., possibly the world. Um, and it's one of the things that's really unique about it is it's representative of the US population. It looks like the US. And and that's because if you look at the community that uses Epic, they're all over the country. You're gonna see them in a critical access hospital up north where I'm from. Uh, You're going to see them in a large urban medical center uh, and every community hospital and things like that in between. So that is the data that is flowing into this Cosmos platform. So when a physician can then leverage that data set we are going to get closer to a population that looks like, like the patient in the exam room. And you can only do that when you have data that comes from all of those different locations and can bring it together. And then the the other thing that's, this is kind of a, an, a uh, not known possibly that no matter where you go actually in the world, when you peel back the covers on Epic, it's the exact same database all of the columns and the tables and things like that are identical uh, around the world. And and certainly some are shut off in some countries and things like that. But what it means is that the allergies field, the doctor field, the medication field, they're the same everywhere. Um, And when it comes to bringing that data together, we have a higher uh, ability to know that that was the actual true intent when they recorded that piece of information and we can bring it together. So then we've got this large repository of data obviously it's it's great for research but also if we can pull insights from that and bring them into the exam room that's where we get to the tools that that dave was just mentioning so best care and lookalikes dave was talking about best care a little bit which is essentially a a precision cohort of the patient in the office right now so if you have a patient we will find in best care a precision cohort that gives a little bit of guided exploration for the clinician to say, um, you know, while I'm looking for patients with a a little broader age range or similar comorbidities, and then actually make a a, um, personalized decision on their care. So uh, obviously, a physician still has their randomized clinical trial that they just read in a journal. They've got their experience, they've got their education, But what they can't do today is have the patient ask them, what happened to patients like me? That just, it is impossible. Um, And as a patient, I want that ability, right? I'm going to go to the doctor that can answer that question for me, or at least guide me on it. So that was the goal of best care is, is give that sort of large population level view of patients like the one in front of them. But the other tool, which actually is, so that one's in development, just to be clear. That's a very hard thing to do, uh, but another one is now available in our software, and that's called lookalikes. and And what that does is, you're going to have physicians, you know, a PCP, primary care physician, that gets a patient coming into their office, and they don't know what's going on. They have this; they're an enigma. They have a unique constellation of symptoms, and are not quite sure what's going on. And what this lookalike tool does, and it's it's embedded into their medical record, is It allows them to capture what made that patient unique and then query the cosmos, not for patients, but actually for other physicians that have seen a patient like that, and then allow them to have essentially a a digital consult, if you will, and let them connect and understand different care decisions that could be made. And we've done a few of these where we're in pilot mode. So the software is out there and being used, And, and it was actually pretty profound what we what we learned is that both sides of this transaction are benefiting. So you've got the PCP who's looking at potentially multiple hours of research or understanding or maybe even a little bit of Googling or going to up to date and trying to figure out what's going on. And now they're, they're getting their patient an answer much more quickly by connecting to somebody in the network. But that person on the receiving end of it, that physician on the receiving end, maybe they've only seen three patients like this. But now the fact that they're getting a fourth case study in their in their corpus of information, that's really powerful to them because that's one more view that they can understand what's happened and, and give advice to another provider. So we've had a couple of these already happen as we're as we're rolling this out in pilot phase. Uh, but it's the, the crazy thing about this is it's. It's a cultural change to know that a tool like this could exist. Imagine being a physician and saying, "I could be getting a call from someone else on the other side of the country. Hey, I hear you've got a patient, or I've seen a patient that had this unique set of symptoms. That's awesome that that exists. But it's a little bit takes you back if you've if you didn't know that that was possible. Like how did how did you know who I was? So part of this is raising awareness that this type of stuff could be possible, that physicians can, you know, with a click of a button, have access to an entire networked brain of medical decisions. Uh, But that's going to take a long time to get there. So these are the exciting things. Like, this is why I'm I'm coming to work in the morning, but also knowing that we're just at the very, very early stages of this. These are
1: both, both of you have like great stories and it's, you know, we, we get so wrapped up in this program and the conferences we go to with the, the numbers and the standards and the, and the HL sevens and everything else. It's great to hear that, you know, after all this work and after all the, uh, all the uh, abbreviation soup uh, that it comes down to the patient and we're, we're changing the lives of the patient and the, and the value added to the data uh, that's just terrific stuff it hits home too too i've got a very close family member who had a chronic condition very weird symptoms took years years to like have one doctor connect to another doctor and finally yeah. they're like oh we've had the same thing i think this is what it is try this in the meantime they poked and prodded her and fed her with all sorts of drugs till they figured out you know well, it's not that system right so i that hits home that 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 you can instantaneously share uh, share care that's terrific all right. So now um, tell me about the farm. Okay. So is it? this is in Wisconsin, right? So you've got a, yeah. a farm in the middle of your campus. So you, you take a lunch break, you go out and you, you pet the cows and it makes you come. What's the, what's, what's the, mo- what's the yeah. modus operandi for that?
0: What's- I mean, I think you, you got to go back to the, like the origin story of where we're just outside of Madison, Wisconsin and we're in what was farmland. So Verona, like their nickname is even hometown USA. It's your classic kind of main street thing. And uh, Judy, the the founder and CEO, and President Carl, they had been looking for land. We were going to move outside of of, uh, Madison. And one of their trips as they were learning what a campus could look like is they, they went out to Microsoft and they're like, I like how this is laid out. This looks good. And then they saw this bit of land in Verona and they said, I think that's just about right. And, you know, ended up buying several hundred acres thinking that's about the right size. And it turns out like the Microsoft campus was like 36 acres or something tiny compared to this. So we had all this immense farmland and we're going to use a portion of it to, to build our buildings and things like that. So, so part of that was there was a farm with it and um you know we wanted to make sure that we we kept that going so it's something like 1400 acres is the actual plot of land that we have and you know it's got it's got some sheep and some cows uh, i think there's even some dinosaurs there you know that kind of thing <laughs> got to keep it fun um but yeah so it's and, and about that um i think what was it about 500 are, are actively uh farmed as far as you know crop
1: wow that's it i love that that's a great story great story all right um as we're closing up here any uh resources websites that you want to give listeners to find out more about what you've been talking about today and uh, and i'll also give you a a minute to any last words
2: epicresearch.org is the website where we post our findings from our exploratory studies of our data um, a lot of that we do internally with teams of physicians and nurses and data scientists who look at the data that we have in the COSMOS database and explore clinical questions. Uh, some of that we also do in collaboration with academic partners. I mentioned the University of Maryland earlier. Uh, we work with the CDC and other federal organizations to also look at the data that we have and respond to questions. All of that is posted to epicresearch.org. And that's a publicly accessible website. It doesn't uh, require a subscription fee or a, or a login or a user membership or anything like that. It's just out there for anybody to see. And that's where I would uh, recommend that folks go if you want to learn more.
1: Terrific. Phil,
0: anything else? Um, I'll also put in a plug for EpicShare.org. Um, this is this is really for other health systems to understand how they can learn from each other to improve. Uh, so it's all of this is available on on Epic.com. It'll give you some links. if you're if you're wanting to just know what the easiest is, um, we've been uh, we've been really adding a lot of content to our website that I think you know if you went there a few years ago you wouldn't have seen. So you know let's check there and and dive in.
1: Terrific. Thank you. Great discussion today with Dave Little, clinical informaticist and Phil Lindemann, VP of business intelligence and analytics at Epic. And this has been the collective voice of health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.